Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. Past communication um, is, uh, I have a definition somewhere, uh, the imparting or exchanging of information on a large scale uh, to a wide range of people. So that's what preaching is a lot of time. Now, you can preach to just one person or you can preach to thousands of people, but uh, whenever you're preaching uh, the word, you're declaring that, it's usually uh, found in a form of mass communication. A lot of times, you know, you'll stand on the, uh, on the pulpit, or, you know, behind that, or, you know, um, if, you, if you've ever seen some of the um, real old-fashioned um, uh, uh, you know, type of churches like in the New England states that are still there, you know, from the 17 and 1800s, they'll have this little spire thing where you climb all the way up and you're standing up there. The only reason is because you want to be able to actually reach everybody, you know, instead of just standing there and then it, you know, it doesn't go any further than the first row. So the whole reason is for voice amplification. You know, they didn't have a real good sound guy in the 1700s. You know, they weren't blessed like we uh, we are, you know, to, to have that. So, you know, they're trying to talk to everybody, you know, at the same time. And they're preaching like seven-hour sermons, so that'll wear you out. So he had to be up there to where he, his voice could reach. Um, a lot of times preaching will be in the form of mass communication. And there's another type of communication I want to discuss a little bit tonight called interpersonal communication. Interpersonal communication. In my uh, kind of homemade definition, uh, you know, kind of stealing from each, you know, from some different ones, is basically responsive two-way communication between two or more people. Okay? So for our purposes of teaching tonight, the definition we'll be operating from uh, mass communication is the imparting or exchanging of information on a large scale to a wide range of people. Interpersonal communication is responsive two-way communication between two or more people. Interpersonal communication uh, I, I can talk a whole lot and I can preach, you know, Sunday for an hour. And, uh, and some of that stuff, especially for like, you know, a new believer, uh, some of that is just going to kind of go in one ear and out the other, not because of a lack of attentiveness, but because of a lack of understanding and training. So um, there does need to be um, other ways that we're communicating with new believers. And we call that discipleship. Uh, we believe very heavily in personal discipleship. Uh, because in that you really, if you're just coming on Sunday, even if you're coming on Wednesday and Sunday night and you're very faithful to church and you're showing up, um, you're still not going to uh, be able to get the fullness you know, uh, of proper discipleship uh, from just mass communication. You know, there needs to be forums where you can say, okay, so I do get what you were saying you know, in 2 Corinthians about that verse, but what about this verse and how do, you, how do I counterbalance those two positions? The Word of God always makes sense, but we have to we need to be able to ask questions at times. We need to be able to learn from someone who is uh, experienced and understands the full context of the word. Um, that is so important. Now, it's also important for another reason. Whenever people are properly discipled, um, then, then they can grow and get rooted. Now, if they come and, you know, and, and all they receive is mass communication, sometimes people will kind of stick it out. But a lot of times, uh, they, you know, they'll have a hard time really connecting to the body in the way that they should. And sometimes you know, they'll, they'll fade out or they, they, they will not, you know, you know, they'll come for a little while and then not get the true relational rooting uh, in, deep in the word and in fellowship and communion with the body that they need. Does this make sense? It's true. We do need uh, personal, interpersonal communication and discipleship. Now, I said Jesus preached to thousands sometimes, but he only had a select few disciples. He had 12 disciples, 
He had other people that he was in close fellowship and communion with, but 12 disciples. And to those he imparted um, the ability. He reproduced himself as a preacher and as someone who, who would go into the world and make disciples. He reproduced himself in those select few. And they're the ones that we read about. They're the ones that people build, you know, uh, cathedrals and name them after. They're the ones that we still name our kids after, right? Um, the, 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 it's, it's impactful whenever you get truly rooted in the Word of God and connected to the body, and then you, you're imparted with the truth and the ability to preach and teach and recreate other disciples. Preaching, like I said, is the declaration of words God. Now, we could go some different directions with, uh, you know, with exact definition. Um, is it John Broadus, Steve? Um, you know who I'm talking about? Okay, um, in Bible school, like there was a kind of a preaching textbook on the preparation and delivery of sermons, okay? And it was a really great book, and so there's a billion different ways to preach and to talk about you know, different styles of preaching. But for tonight's purpose, preaching is um, the declaration of, of the Word of God, uh, usually um, with a uh, soteriological element, which is a fancy word for getting saved. It's what soteriology is. It's the study of how to get saved and stay saved and be saved. Okay, soteriology, that is salvation. That's where, you know, obviously our walk with God starts is whenever we, we get saved. Preaching and teaching are interchangeable to some degree. Um, you, can, you can preach and teach at the same time. And you can teach um, and, uh, and preach at the same time, you know, just depending on what you're teaching. However, um, you can't, you, you, and you, but you can teach and not use the word of God. You can teach about secular things. You can teach this or you can teach that or you can te even teach, you know, history, whatever it is. But you cannot preach without teaching the Word of God. You cannot preach without the Word of God. It's centered on the Word of God. Um, there is no teaching that does not include, or, there is teaching that does not include God's Word, but there's no preaching that does not include God's Word. And what's the purpose of our preaching? It's to teach, to, to declare truth, to convert the sinner, to function under the anointing with general revelation, and when the Spirit leads, and as God wills, with special revelation. Sometimes God will move in a powerful way, and, uh, and He will reveal things. He will minister in, in ways that, uh, that we don't even understand. I've, been, uh, I've preached under the anointing at times before and had no idea on what I, who I was talking to and on what level, but then be led by the Spirit to declare God's truth and God's Word, and, and it just sink into a particular need, which you know, sometimes afterwards you find out, sometimes... Uh, you never know, but uh, you know, when the Word of God goes forth in truth and in power, it will not return void, and that's what we love about the Word of God. It's powerful, amen? Um, so whenever we preach, um, sometimes you know, it'll be just general revelation, which general revelation is the, the written Word of God. Uh, sometimes there'll be special revelation, and, and God will speak you know, with, a, with just a living and powerful Word, and that will, uh, that will address a, a particular need or something, or sometimes a sin that somebody is, is functioning under. And God will just use his servant, you know, with the anointing to, to speak. Um, you know, he did that in the past you know, with the prophet Nathan. He came up, you know, to David and said, uh, yeah, let me tell you a story. And then God had revealed to him some things. And he, he said there was a story about this young, about a guy who had just a handful of sheep. And then this bully who, who had lots and lots of sheep. And this guy only had one, actually. And it was just he loved it like it was his own you know, personal pet, his kid. And this guy came in and he stole the only sheep he had. And David gets all mad, you know, you know how we puff out our chest, especially whenever we're guilty of sin. And, uh, you know, that's. And he says, well, this guy should have to pay it back, and he should be killed, and he should be killed before he pays. I just, I'm so mad. I'm so, I, I feign anger. And Nathan said, it's you. So sometimes the, you know, God will move in special revelation 
um, as well as just the general teaching of God's word. And so now I want to talk a little bit about our church and how we operate, how we can pray uh, for the preachers and for the teachers and for those um, who just are engaging in personal discipleship in their homes. We need to all be on the same team, right? We, we, a true and thriving church um, does not focus around on any one or two or five people's giftings. That is a church that will fail. It will. It will fail in its assignment. Now, it may have people there. It may have a lot of people there, but it will fail its assignment. Whatever that assignment is, you know, from God, um, if, if, if everyone, if, if it does not have like a full complement of gifted people functioning in the various different types of behind the scene and on, in front of the scene ministries and personal discipleship and teaching and witnessing and evangelizing and prayer and intercessory prayer, uh, functioning in the giftings of the spirit as the Lord leads, um, working in the worship, working in the prayer and the, in the teaching. If you don't have all of the elements of a New Testament church, you will not fulfill the calling of the New Testament church. And so we have to focus on that. We have to understand what the inner workings uh, really look like. And so now I'm going to come off of like kind of the preaching mode uh, or teaching mode and just have a little more of a conversational um, look at this. Um, who loves the Sunday morning service? Me too. Who loves the Wednesday night service? <laughs> yeah, hopefully, like, if you raise your hands, like, you, you, you should love them all. Sun, and Sunday evening as well. We love all of those services. Um, but we, and here's how our church operates. We will follow the leading of the Spirit, and any one of those services can look very different. It can look, um, you know, it may be that we just worship the whole time because God is moving in that powerfully. It may be that, you know, we just, we end up testifying and then God moves in a powerful way. It may be that, uh, that maybe the preacher meant to preach on, uh, you know, on, on whatever it might be preaching on Second Timothy or, you know, the giftings of the Spirit or salvation. And God may lead in a different way and then someone come and have their chains of addiction broken in the altars of prayer. Someone might get saved. Someone might, you know, uh, I, I believe that we are called to be full of Spirit and power and anointing and that, you know, uh, people are still demon-possessed. And if there's a manifestation like that, which there has been, um, then, then that's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to rebuke that. We're going to cast that out in Jesus' name. We're going to operate according to his will, according to the need. We are human, and we try to plan as best we can uh, to, you know, to achieve a certain level of excellence you know, in our preaching, in our teaching, in our worship, in our children's ministry, all the above. However, we will follow the leading of the Spirit, and we will be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit because to do other is to, to take his role as God and say that we know this is what, what, you know, this is how, it, it, it's thus, and it's my plan. Um, we, we need to be flexible. That doesn't mean we need to, it needs to be the okay corral, and we just need to never have a plan and go nuts and, you know, be out of order. We don't want that, and we're not going to have that. Amen? I promise. <laughs> I promise we won't. However, we will be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit at all times. Our Sunday services, um, as a plan and as a, you know, a regu you know, with regularity, uh, we focus on evangelism and salvation a lot, um, as we should, because we see the most um, visitors and unsaved people come during those services. And so that's a strategic. We have to be strategic about the kingdom. Amen. Um, and so I, I know as, you know, as a pastor and having watched trends and understanding, you know, how people operate a lot of times, um, you know, people will come and they'll visit at that service that they won't visit any other time. 
Um, and so we, we, I'll preach on whatever, you know, the Holy Spirit leads or whatever course of teaching is, you know, necessary. Um, but th- that's a big focus for us. So well, you know what you need to do as a body? Through the week, we need to be praying that God will save souls, that God will um, remove every hindrance and every distraction, um, that, that, that things will, will come together in such a way as to accomplish his plan for our church and for our services. But I want to be on the same team. You know, our core here especially, we want to be praying you know, specifically for the, you know, for, for the outcome that he wants. And that's a lot of times what we're shooting for. Um, during the Sunday service, we do see uh, we, we want healing and freedom from sin and bondage of all kinds. Those are kind of some of the, thematically, that's a lot of times the direction that I will go as, you know, as the pastor in preaching. Um, you know, I encourage people to, uh, to invite people to that service if it's their first time. Invite to whatever they can come to, you know, depending on the work schedule or whatever. But um, push that real hard because that's whenever I'm going to be um, planning on coming for them. You know, if they need to get saved, then you know, we're, we're going to be making sure that we make salvation available. Um, that's a focus. Again, it's, we can go a hundred different ways, uh, but that is a little bit of the plan. Um, Sunday evening service, uh, we, we tend to focus on the body to encourage, grow, teach, and empower the disciples of Christ. Uh, right now, we're on a, in a, right in the middle of a fantastic uh, sermon series. Uh, you know, Brother Parker's not here, so I'll brag on him. It's been very good just talking about the, uh, the stork and how the church needs to be accessible to, uh, to the lost and dying world. If, it's, if you know, the stork makes its nest on the ground rather than up in the trees, what does that mean? Um, you know, the Word of God says, you know, even the stork knows, understands the times, and my people don't. The stork makes its nest so low that even the broken and the dying can crawl into it. Whereas some birds make it up in the trees to where the broken and those who have fallen out and, you know, those who have been hurt and maybe are not able to fly, um, they can only look up into the branches and, and eventually perish because they cannot reach. Amen? And that, so that, that is an encouragement. That's something that's very directed toward our body and how we ought to frame things as a church. Um, so, and that's the, typically a lot of times Sunday nights, um, we're focusing on us. How do we be the church that we need to be uh, to reach the lost and the dying and the hurting? Those, how, how do we accomplish that and to be empowered and taught? Um, Wednesdays, uh, we, foc- uh, we tend to focus. You know, it can go different ways, but we tend to focus on prayer, fellowship, um, I, mean, I really love to hear testimonies, you know, from the body and people's just encouraging words because there's so many gifted and wonderful people here. Uh, I want to hear, and we need to hear from each other and what God is doing amongst us and be strengthened. So worship, teaching, and really on Wednesdays, focusing on connectivity to the body. Um, that's, that's a big deal. Like, I, I think some of the most important stuff sometimes uh, happens after dismissal when we're connecting, encouraging one another, um, lifting each other up, you know, becoming, you know, the body. Of Christ, not disjointed and disconnected, because that'll never be a successful body. Only whenever we're in communion and proper fellowship, will we be able to to carry the load that God has assigned to us. Amen. Amen. So, some of Jesus' most important conversations happened around the table. And this is where I want to talk a little bit about us. Um, my, my job here, I'm so honored to be uh, the pastor here at New Life Church, the lead pastor, and it's the best thing, you know, uh, second best thing that's ever happened you know, to me as far as I'm concerned. I got you. 
Um, but uh, it, it really is, you know, obviously Jesus, you know, you know, being saved, that's all, you know, I, I'm all, things only started happening to me when I did get saved because I'm a new creature, right? So ground zero is there. But since then, like, this is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I love this church. I love these people. And, uh, and I'll be here, uh, you know, forever, you know, if I can, uh, you know, that's, this is where my heart is. Um, and as the pastor, Sometimes I'm trying to figure out what is, you know, what is my role, what is my responsibility, how do I lead, how do I pray, and how do I empower and teach others uh, to reproduce ourselves and, and myself in the congregation who's going out and empowering. Um, that's a, you know, it, it's kind of a tightrope walk sometimes. You know, you're trying to figure out exactly how to do that. Um, my job here is the mass communication, the preaching of the word, um, during these services. Now, I'm always, you know, there, there are lots of other things that are my, my role as well. Like if you need prayer or, you know, if you're in the hospital, call me. By the way, uh, guess what? I don't have ESP, ESPN. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't get that channel. I don't get the, <laughs> that one. Whoop, that's fine. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have, thank you. I don't have uh, tele, tele, telepathic abilities. Yeah, not telekinesis. I don't, I don't have the ability to know what you're thinking. Okay, that's fine. I'll get it out. Okay, so I want to be there. Um, and every, you know, if, if your baby is sick and, and there's a concern, we've had to take it to the ER. Give me a call. I don't care what time it is. I don't care what's going on. Um, I want to be a, a part of that. I want to pray. I, like that's that is my heart. And, you know, we don't have a mega church here. There's no reason why you can't shoot me a text so I can be on my knees praying and be in there in, in difficult situations. Um, that is a huge part of of the pastoral role to, to pray and to support. And if, uh, you know, and in emergencies, which don't, you know, a stub toe is not an emergency. Don't call me at three in the morning because you stub your toe, but do call me if, if it is, because I do want to be a part of the prayer and the support. Like if you're having surgery, you got something coming up, you better call me or I will be personally offended. You, you know, just, yeah, I will. Like, because next thing I know, like somebody who never let me know, you know, is upset because they think I don't care. You got to let me know. I, I do. I, I care. I want to be involved. Let me know, though. I don't have ESPN. Don't get that channel. So that's a big part of, of being the pastor. However, it is not my job to disciple all the people who get saved here. It's just not. And I will fail. And I'll burn out. And then I'm going to have a rotten attitude with a rotten word on Sunday. You're going to have to sit through it. <laughs> I'm going to spiritually burn out. Like, I can't do that, and I shouldn't, and that's, that, that, that's not the pastor's job. It's your job, church, to disciple and to teach and to bring people into relationship with you and, and, and help them and teach them and guide them into being conformed to the image of Christ day by day with the reading of the word and conversations. Um, some of you all never had no, you, you won't, you're not real comfortable having a meal with somebody. You need to get over that if you want to be like Jesus. Andrew, I'm ripping off some, uh, some rough ones here, but... Uh, it's true. It's true. Where's that in the Bible, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Let me get my chair back. Some of Jesus' most powerful impartations to the disciples were at the table. It is true. It's a place of sharing. It's a place of community. Um, you, you, I wonder where the root word of community is even from. Communion. Oh, so you're saying that the only version of communion is not when we come and eat bread and 
and, and, and you know, remember the sacrament and honor the sacrament of communion? That's right. That is not the only time where communion is supposed to be a part of our lives, not when we schedule it. We need to be in communion with our Lord and Savior all the time. And we need to be in communion with each other as well. And we certainly, with, with those who we're supposed to be discipling um, into the kingdom. Amen? So, um, a little Q&A. I said some of Jesus' most powerful impartations to the disciples were at the table. Name one. On this side, name one. The Last Supper. I knew we'd probably flesh them all out here. So that you guys get the Last Supper, 10 points awarded to this team. Absolutely. The Last Supper. True communion doesn't happen when he feeds 5,000. But when he sat down with several men and gave a deep and meaningful revelation. Matthew 26, 26 through 30 says, And they were, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. How many of you? Mm-hmm. Don't be scurrying off when we're about to have fellowship dinner. <laughs> Thanks for always backing me up, man. I appreciate it. You can come up here and sit with me next time. I'm serious. Community. Communion is important. It is, he said, all of you. Why did he say that? All of you. Because it's, that's a thing. You know, if you're going to be in communion with Christ... Yeah, you, 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 have to, you have to go all the way through. You have to be connected to all the elements of who he is and what he says his church is supposed to look like. Amen. You don't just get a part of Jesus, a part of Christianity, and then say that's enough. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many in the remission of sin, for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. So the, the Last Supper is absolutely important. The most meaningful communication happens when it's interpersonal a lot of times throughout the word. Now, you know I believe in the, in the mass, in the preaching you know, to a congregation. You know, I believe that's you know, it's a huge part of what we're supposed to do. And you know, as you read the New Testament, you understand that's what they did. You know, they got together, they taught, they preached, you know, they, they ministered. Um, so that's a huge part of it. But whenever you're trying to build disciples like we need to be doing, um, you've got to have interpersonal communication as well. The communion that he had with the disciples was two-way. You know, there were conversations, there were questions that were answered, there were, there were challenges, there were, they, they grew together. Amen? So now, over here, somebody give me another um, tabletop discussion. It happens. Absolutely. That almost made the list, and it's 100% one. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do them all, but yeah that, that, yeah, that was like the second one that popped in. That's part two. Somebody else. Stephanie, I know you got one. Also, Stephanie, I know you got one. Both of you, Stephanie's. Tabletop discussions with Jesus. That's true. That was another element of it. Absolutely. Okay, so I'll, I'll help this section out. Huh? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, your, yours is uh, the lesson of the alabaster box. Yeah. You're getting points. Yeah, you only get five. Only five for this team because you needed help. 
Um, John 21, 1 through 14, I believe. No, 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 don't do that, Andrew. That's not the one. Don't ruin my secrets. That is not the right one. Um, John, actually, no, no, this is Matthew 26, 7. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Uh Uh-huh. This is such a powerful, powerful thing, what he imparts to the disciples here. Um, This is a a revelation of grace and service that they understood. The teaching, um, you know, that they saw Jesus in action. This happened, this impartation of truth and what it meant to be a servant, what it meant to have grace, um, was done at the table. All right, we'll do one more. How about you guys? Come on, give me a good one. That's a good one. That is definitely at the table. And that almost made the cut as well. Yeah. Five points to left side. Now we got preachers and saints and bishops. You know, we, we got all kind we got all kinds of power over here. This group ought to be able to give me some some good stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great one. Mary and Martha, whenever he kind of lines her out. Brother Richard, you got another one? Yes, absolutely. When he when he turned when he fed five thousand, you're talking about. Absolutely. Was there a table? They did sit down. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I we'll give it to him. We'll give it to him. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, brother Sam, and then we'll come back to you, Skyler. Okay. That. Ooh. See, that's a niche one. That's a good one. I knew we'd get some good stuff there, Skyler. Yeah. That was like the number one complaint about him from the religious heads. Yeah, from the talking heads. Um, he, he, he sups with sinners. Absolutely. He sits down and he talks to them and he feasts with, with sinners. And that was one of the big knocks. All right. Man, you're full of good ones, Brother Richard. That's the one I was looking for. Team left side wins. Team left. The center section and then the right side. Center section. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my llama laugh. <laughs> I told you we were just going to enjoy ourselves tonight and just have some community. Enjoy the word of God. Yeah, if your version of a good church service is everybody's miserable the whole time, that ain't us. Lord have mercy. Yeah. We want to have fun. We want to enjoy this. We want to enjoy the ride, man. We're going to heaven together. It's going to be feasting and enjoying and, and fellowship and joy forevermore. Amen. Let's get started. Yes, Jesus men's breakfast, Brother Richard. That was really good. Um, he, he had, we need to have another men's prayer breakfast, but Jesus had one, and this is the passage. I'm going to read this, and we're almost done here, and then we're going to have worship together and just you know, spend a little bit of time talking to one another and encouraging each other. Amen? John 21, 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. That's a, that's a really kind of like interesting preamble, but it's like, and this is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. 
Somebody say nothing. Caught nothing. But then in the morning, in the morning they had now come, and Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. <laughs> like, I, that, to me, I, like, I'm seeing like, them still being in the boat. And that, that's, that seems like such an interesting, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, Children, hey, hey, little guys, you got any food? You catch anything? No. <laughs> like, there's no conversation, no back and forth. It's a very surly sounding response. No. You ever talk to somebody and you just cannot get a good thing going? You can't, you, you know what I mean? That's how it can be sometimes. So, you know, whenever you, we talk to somebody, and that's why sometimes we don't involve in the personal discipleship as much as we should. Sometimes it takes effort to get things going. Sometimes you actually have to get past the awkwardness and, and break it down. Put yourself out there a little bit. Go across the, the sanctuary and say hi to that person who's always scowling. Yeah? Give them a reason to smile. Maybe they're walking through stuff you don't understand. Maybe you go over there and shake their hand and be kind to them. It's the first time somebody's been kind to them all week and they've been done wrong. Mm-mm-mm. I appreciate that. I get a lot of you know, affirming mm-mm-mms from you guys. What's well, true? Let's be that kind of church. Let's be the kind of church to where just by walking in here, I can almost guarantee you that the best thing that's happened to you all week is about to happen to you. Because somebody who genuinely cares is going to come by and encourage you with a word. Praise God. I would love it. I need it sometimes. You know? Anyway. They said no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast the net and they were not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, he, now when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Can we take a second to figure out why Peter just cannot stay in the boat ever? <laughs> this is not the first time. <laughs> you know, and everybody's got to be mildly irritated. They're like, yeah, how about you row when you see Jesus? We're all here trying to still make this thing happen. You know, whenever the storm was coming, everything, they were about to go down. He's like, is it you? Bid me to jump out of the sinking boat and walk to you. And they're all like, no, help. Help out a little bit. And he does not care about anybody who's still left in the boat. He just jump right out and start walking. He's like, save me, you know, let me get out of here. And then again, like, they, honestly, these are the things that you need to enjoy about the scripture. Like, these are people. And so what has just happened? There's such a large amount of fish that they can't even reel it in. Splash. Peter, getting out ahead of everybody, going to Jesus. He's an interesting guy, I'll tell you that. Anyway, I'm sorry. Now, Simon Peter heard it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net of fish with them. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Like They did the dragging, and Peter just swam and left everybody. And Simon Peter went up. And dragged the net to land full of fish, 153, although there were so many, the net was not broken. Now, here's a word I'll give you real quick. I gave this about five months ago, something like that. Anybody, can anybody give me an answer who doesn't already know it from me? Don't steal the thunder. Does anybody know scripturally, according to numerology and deep doctrinal teaching, why there was not 154 fish? 
Anybody know? I think it's because 153 is all the net could take. Now, God specifically mentions there how many fish are there. But why does he do that? What does that matter? Who cares? Like, it's a lot of fish, you know? So more than the net could handle. That's honestly all we really need to go on. We could preach this point. This is a lot of fish, and Peter jumped out. And, but he said 153. And to me, that just kind of spoke, because I really feel like uh, that he will not put on you more than you are able to bear. And whenever you are trying to do his work, he does know your limit. He does know what you can take, and he makes a way. His grace is sufficient. Amen? He, he will not, if you're following in him, and you're doing what you ought to be doing, and you're faithful, and you stay connected to the source, he won't put so many fish in your net that it'll break. 